The Holy Gospel is taken from the first chapter of Mark. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Just a quick word before I begin, or two words. Um, one, uh, Pastor Lori is also out sick today, so we want to keep her and everyone else in our prayers that's battling with illness. I also want to say a word of thanks uh, on behalf of Brenda and our family for your concern and your prayers for her mother. Um, she had partial hip replacement on Christmas Eve, and Thursday of this past week she returned to uh, Trinity View, the LSC facility where she lives and she's able to move short distances with a walker, which is no small feat for a 93-year-old uh, person at, at her age and condition. So thank you for your prayers. Let's pray. Loving God, still our hearts and minds from the busyness of this world that we might be fully present for you this day to hear what you would say to us in word and song and sacrament. Amen. Remember your baptism. Who remembers your baptism? Raise your hand. Okay. There are a few, few more here, but most of us Lutherans don't because we're oftentimes babes in arms and just don't remember. But that's okay if we don't remember that special day when water and word came together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God's work in baptism and God's faithful to that covenant that God makes with us, even if we fail or when we fail sometimes. I happen to remember mine. My parents had become disillusioned with the church where we had been worshiping. And so they decided to seek another church that better nourished them and their five small children. Well, in that interim, as God would have it, a young pastor knocked on the door. This pastor was starting a new congregation. And I'm sure he was either really excited or quite appalled when mom answered the door with one babe in arms and four little rugrats around her legs. 
pastors, we all love children and families, as, as do you in congregations. Mission pastors really like families, I think. That pastor, again, by the grace of God, not just having knocked on the door, but happened to be Lutheran. Not long after that, we moved to a new city, and we promptly found a new Lutheran church. And the five of us, all five kids, were baptized on December 22, 1964. And the Lutheran branch of the Christian family has been our spiritual home ever since. And we say, thank you, Pastor Muller, for knocking on that door years ago. This first Sunday in Epiphany is always baptism of our Lord. And we often remember our baptism, as we're going to talk about in a second. Baptism was the start of Jesus' public ministry. And that's a great place to start to learn about the identity of Jesus that we'll do throughout the Epiphany season. Now, this text today is jam-packed with clues about the identity of Jesus, beginning with John the Baptist. Just consider about John. John's in the wilderness, a traditional place for transformative spiritual encounters and a place long associated with prophets. So he's in a prophetic place already. And then there's John's crazy appearance. We're not going to talk about his diet today. <laughs> but John, Mark tells us that John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Why that detail? Well, in 2 Kings, the first chapter, we're told that the prophet Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in Israel's history, was a hairy man with a leather belt around his waist. Things get lost in translation, so there's probably that connection there. But then, going on, like prophets before him, John spoke truth. John called people and powers to accountability. In his case, he called people to confess their sins, to be baptized, to be washed in the river of Jordan as a sign of repentance, a sign that they wanted to turn from where they were wholeheartedly back to God. And John's message resonated with people. They left the comfort of Jerusalem, the center of their worship there at the temple, pouring out in mass into the middle of nowhere to see him. And it, was, it had been about 300 years without a true prophet. So these people are wondering, is this the one? Who is this? And there have been numerous false messiahs in recent years calling the people to rise up, take up arms against oppressor after oppressor, and even now with the Romans, the current one at that time. But they were spiritually hungry for John's message of hope. He said, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. All of those things come together for John's one mission in his short, brief appearances in the Gospels, pointing wholeheartedly everything he did and said to the one who is more powerful than I. And his mission culminates when Jesus arrives at the Jordan River from Nazareth, that little town where someone else said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus comes to be baptized. 
And I think in the baptism of Jesus, this story, we learn four essential truths about this carpenter from that little teeny village of Nazareth. First, baptism tells us who Jesus is. God acts to reveal Jesus' identity. Mark tells us, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. The heavens torn apart. And we have to understand the cosmology of, of the day, the, the way that they believed the universe was constructed. That there was creation and there was a vast dome that covered it, separating them from waters and from the divine abode of God. And so at Jesus' baptism, there's the word, Greek word used is schizo. It's torn, not just parts, but it's violently torn apart. God can't wait for the Spirit to get to Jesus, to connect with Jesus and all of creation. And the Spirit, seen as a dove, a sign of peace, descends on Jesus. And we see in this passage the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, uniting with the Holy Spirit. Second baptism tells us whose Jesus is. As the Spirit descends on Jesus, a voice comes through that tear in the dome of heaven. You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I'm well pleased. These words echo an enthronement psalm, psalms written to celebrate the appointment, anointing of a king. And in Psalm 2, God's voice announces that king who was often spoken of as God's son. In Psalm 2 we read, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Jesus is the one anointed by the Holy Spirit and identified by that divine voice as God's Son. And as God's only Son, Jesus bears the full presence and authority of God the Father in his ministry. Thirdly, baptism here tells us what the mission of Jesus is. And I think there are two key aspects I want to lift up that are identified. First, is that answer to the question that many of us have. John's baptizing for repentance and people are confessing sins. Jesus had no sin. He was perfect. Why did he have to be baptized? Mark, cutting to the point throughout his gospel, doesn't include that, but Matthew accounts for that in his baptism account in the third chapter where he writes, <clears throat> John would have prevented Jesus from being baptized, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so for now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented and baptized Jesus. So the baptism of Jesus, he's showing his solidarity with humanity. He was fully human and fully God. His solidarity with us is demonstrated in the baptism. And the second aspect is what God said, with you I am well pleased. With you I am well pleased. God's pleased with Jesus' obedience to God's purpose, which is to return us humans to a healthy, saving relationship with God. 
that's been broken by sin through centuries. And all of Jesus' earthly ministry works toward that goal of redeeming us, restoring us to a proper relationship with God. And then fourth, baptism shows us Jesus' source of strength for his mission. The heavens are ripped open. The Holy Spirit descends and God's voice announces their solidarity as Father and Son. We know the rest of the story. We know what lies ahead for Jesus. How hard that last week in Jerusalem will be, ending with abuse, crucifixion, and death, and then resurrection. We know that it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit binding him with the Father as the Trinity that will give Jesus strength to faithfully persevere in his mission. Not only are those things that we learn about Jesus in this reading, but they also teach us about our baptism. They're true for us as well. You can, if you want, look at the... uh, Thanksgiving for baptism, because most of what I'm going to point to is printed there. But first, we learn who we are in baptism. We are fallen, broken sinners, totally incapable of faithfully following God. As John called people to confess at the Jordan River, we acknowledge our brokenness, our need for healing and forgiveness at our baptism. The pastor asked the parents or the people being baptized, do you renounce the devil and all the forces that defy God, the powers of this world that rebel against God and the ways of sin that draw you away from God? And we respond, I renounce sin. We acknowledge that we are broken. We can't get back to God by ourselves. Second, we learn whose we are. In the words of the Thanksgiving in Baptism pastor names our identity, which is clarified in the sacrament. We are children of God. We are reborn in the sacrament as children of God. The words are, we give you thanks, O God, that through water and the Holy Spirit, you give your daughter and son's new birth. Cleanse them from sin and raise them to eternal life. God graciously gives to God's children all the gifts that we can never earn never deserve, never do on our own, forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life because we are children of the Father. Third, we learn what our mission is. Like Jesus, our mission is outwardly focused, focused on the well-being, the good of others, whether it's individual or our faith community, looking outward to the hopeless and the hurting in the world that begins here locally and extends to the ends of the earth. The charge, naming our mission in baptism, we heard, to live among God's faithful people, to hear the word of God and share in the Lord's Supper, to proclaim the word of God in Christ through word and deed, to serve all people following the example of Jesus and to strive for justice and peace in all the earth. None of those are possible without the Spirit. But we commit to those. We're charged for those. And a significant and challenging part, I think, that we often overlook is simply living in solidarity with our 
Christian family, with other baptized people. I mean, think about how different we all are. The experiences, the preferences, all those things. And we're called and baptized to be one Christian family, one community of faith. Sometimes just living in Christian community can be challenging. And the welcome of the congregation reminds us of that commitment to one another at the end of the baptismal liturgy. We welcome you into the body of Christ, into the mission we share. Join us in giving thanks and praise to God and bearing God's creative and redeeming word to all the world. So we welcome the baptized into our mission of living together and going out to serve and bring the gospel to life in word and deed. To the ends of the earth. That's not something we can do by ourselves. So the last thing in baptism is Like Jesus, we are equipped for our mission, a mission we can't do by ourselves. For in baptism, God pours into us the Holy Spirit to guide us, to give us inspiration, to help us understand and interpret and apply Scripture, to strengthen us when the going will get rough, and to energize us as we go forward in the mission that we discern together that's entrusted to us by God. And so at the end, near the end of the baptismal liturgy, the pastor places a hand on the head of the baptized, a sign of blessing, a sign of passing on something, passing on the Spirit, and prays that God would sustain this person with the gift of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord the spirit of joy in your presence now and forever. And then it's all sealed up at the end as the pastor takes oil and marks a cross on the forehead of the newly baptized, summing up our new identity in God's solidarity, God's commitment to the covenant with us. Child of God, you have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked with the cross of Christ forever. Forever. And that's good news because God never forgets and fails to fulfill God's covenant. So remember your baptism. Remember who you are, whose you are, what you are called and sent to do, and that you are equipped by the Holy Spirit for that mission. Remember your baptism. Amen.